Well, good evening. Welcome to the Santee Circle Church of God Wednesday night Bible study. It is a privilege and an honor to be standing here before you again today to share the word of the Lord. If you would, I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles to Psalms chapter 119. Psalms chapter 119. We'll begin reading in verse 145 here shortly. But before we begin, I'd like to open us up with a word of prayer. And we have a lot of needs that we would like to share with you today. Uh, continue to pray for Sister Bonnie Gunn, who is battling cancer. Continue to pray for her mother, Sister Laura Mae Skipper, who is homebound. Continue to pray for Sister Faye Huff, who is at the nursing home uh, the, here at Pruitt in Monks Corner. Continue to pray uh, for our church, uh, for the body of believers that we are together, and all the surrounding churches in our area. Pray for them as they are continuing to navigate how to handle churches appropriately and to do what's best for the people of God. And so we want to pray for them as well. So if you will, I'm going to ask you to wherever you are, if you've got someone there with you beside you, if you'll join hands with them, or if you feel like standing up, you can stand up as a symbolic uh, representation here before the Lord. But I would ask you to let's join together in prayer, shall we? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your love, mercy, and grace. You are a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You are our very present help in time of trouble. Lord, we cannot do anything without you. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt our might, our strength, and our help is from you alone. Lord, I pray for the needs that are in this body of believers. There are many men and women, God, under the sound of my voice, you need a touch from the Lord. Lord Sister Faye Huff, Sister Bonnie Gunn, Lord Sister uh, Brother Ard, who is battling uh, some health issues, uh, Sister Laura Mae Skipper, I pray for her as well. Lord, those that are battling sicknesses, those that are traveling, those that have family dynamics that they're dealing with. Lord, there is just a plethora of needs probably within our congregation alone, as well as many congregations around. We pray for our brothers and sisters of other faiths. Lord, we pray for uh, the different denominations and those that still uplift the name of Jesus Christ. But Lord, may do it a little bit differently than we do. We pray for their body of believers today. Lord, that you would bless them and touch them in a powerful and special way. And we will forever give you the praise, the glory, and the honor that is due your name. In Christ Jesus, we pray. And the church together says, Amen and Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to open up to Psalms 119, verse 145, Psalms 119, and verse 145. Let me say it is a privilege and an honor to have you joining us tonight for Bible study. Don't forget to sign up, uh, if you will. Uh, let us know if you're willing to help with VBS uh, 2021. Uh, the VBS theme this year is called God's Story. It is uh, going to be June 13th through the 16th from 7 to 9 p.m. And we'd love to have you join with us. Don't forget our Sunday morning services, Sunday school at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and continue to do so. Let me also remind you that starting this Sunday, we will be allowing you to bring your offerings up front to the storehouse to bring before the Lord. You can also now give online. Uh, we have a new ability to give online. You can go to tithe, T-I-T-H-E dot L-Y, tithe dot L-Y, and you can search for Santee Circle C-O-G and give online. 
Here in a few weeks, we'll be launching our website, so you'll be able to give directly on that as well. All right, let's jump into the Word of the Lord. Tonight, I want to talk to you on this subject title, Prayers of Deliverance. Prayers of Deliverance. When I think of the term deliverance, I think of the idea of someone who is enslaved, someone who is held captive, someone who is in trouble, someone who uh, has no way of means or mechanisms to get out and needs a savior. They are, they are trapped or they are, are ensnared and they don't know how to get out. They are a prisoner uh, in, in some sense. There, there's all kinds of ways that people need deliverance. People can be bound in the prisons of their mind. They can be bound by bondage of finances. They can be bound by the bondage of bad marriages. They could be, be enslaved or ensnared or chained to bad relationships, bad jobs, even sometimes maybe even bad churches. But when they need deliverance, we think of when the, someone delivers someone, we think of the idea of a Savior. I am so thankful that I serve a God that when I was at my wit's end and I was ensnared and enslaved and chained to the bondage of sin, that I could not find my way out of the hellhole dungeons of life, that there was a propitiation, a propitiatory atonement found through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a substitutionary second Adam that came down from the portals of glory and came down in the form, clothed himself in human likeness and flesh and therefore wrapped himself in carnality and came to earth so that he could die a criminal's death and die the most inhumane version of death of that day so that I could have deliverance. So when I think of prayers of deliverance, I think of what are the words, what are the things of God, what are the prayers that I'm offering up that leads to deliverance. You see, when the disciples noticed Jesus' prayers in the Bible, they recognized that when Jesus prayed, there was power in His prayer. There was power in Jesus' prayer. That's why we can sing songs, there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the blood. There, no, the blood will never lose its power because something about Jesus, the name of Jesus, demons have to flee. At the name of Jesus, marriages have to come back in agreement. At the name of Jesus, sicknesses has to be healed. At the name of Jesus. But you see that the disciples, the men and women, the men, and even some of the women who followed him in terms of being followers, but the 12 disciples that were with him all the time, they heard Jesus pray. Yes, sometimes Jesus would send them on a boat or send them off and he would go seclude himself and pray. Can I tell you before we get any further in this message today, can I tell you that sometimes it is a good thing. You listen to this pastor carefully. Sometimes it is a good thing to separate yourselves from the distractions of the world, separate yourself from all the people who are the negative Nancys and the naysayers. Sometimes it's good to back yourself in the proverbial prayer closets of life, get away from the noise, get away from all that's going on, and just get alone for a moment with God and let God speak to your life. Jesus sometimes knew the value of getting away and being away in prayer. You see, when they noticed 
that Jesus prayed powerful prayers, they asked him in Luke chapter 11, Lord, teach us how to pray. And Jesus answered them like this. He says, when you pray, say and or pray like this. And then he gives us what we know is the model prayer in Luke 11, 2 through 4. But the full scope of this prayer is recorded in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. And we call that the Lord's Prayer. What a better teacher of how to pray than the Lord himself. You know it, our Father, which art in heaven. That means we're honoring his name. We're recognizing who we're talking to and giving reverence to his name. Hallowed be thy name. I taught this series on the Lord's Prayer when I first came to Santee Circle Church of God and I unearthed and I began to teach the body that, that when we say our Father, we are... We are recognizing who it is we're talking to. Our Father, who art in heaven, we're telling where His location is. Hallowed be your name. We reverence you because it's a sacred name. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Nourishment. Provision. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, power, and glory, now and forever. Amen. You see, the final supplication in that prayer is, but deliver us from evil. In the Lord's Prayer, the final supplication before we say, thine is the kingdom, power, and glory, and do the the salutations and the conclusion and the benedictory of that prayer, the last petition of the prayer is, but God, deliver us from evil evil can I tell you we live in a vile society we live in a wicked society we live in a day and an hour where the world is getting out of control the old proverbial going to hell in a handbasket almost seems like it's never been more fitting than it is now the reality of it is we live in a world right now where evil and vile practices at times make the, the nation, excuse me, make the city of Sodom and Gomorrah look like a righteous city. Can I tell you that there are times that we as the United States of America make Sodom and Gomorrah look like righteous people. With every vile practice and evil thing that goes on. In Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul instructs us in preparing for spiritual warfare. In chapter 6, verse 18, he says this. He says, With all prayer and petitions or requests, pray at all times in the Spirit. He said, With every prayer and with every request you bring, pray at, not sometimes, pray at all times in the Spirit. No, he's not just talking about the idea of of speaking in a heavenly language. Though sometimes that is how the Lord moves and we end up being able to pray in that heavenly tongue. But what he means by pray at all times in the Spirit is our minds and our hearts must come in a unification one-on-one in unity 
with the Father, in unity with the Spirit, and pray. And even when we don't know what to pray with utterances and groanings, the Spirit will pray for us. We have to be in one mind with the Holy Ghost and the Spirit of God. You see, evil practices are everywhere and active around us. We cannot fight these forces without the power of prayer. In the next two stanzas of Psalms 119, remember early on in this study we talked about how the psalmist wrote this according to the alphabet of the day and there were 22 stanzas, if you will, with eight verses in each stanza and they all uh, uh, correlated or, or began with a different letter of the Hebraic alphabet and so there are 22 distinct stanzas. These next two stanzas the ones that we find in the Bible, and some of your Bibles may have them over the header of the verses you're about to read. We're going to see how the psalmist gives us insight how to pray for deliverance. There are, in fact, four aspects. There are four aspects of praying for deliverance from evil in this world. The first one I want to bring to your attention is you've got to first know how to pray earnestly. You must learn how to pray earnestly. Let's look what the Bible says. I cried with my whole heart, answer me, O Lord, that I will observe your statutes. I cried to you, save me. And I shall keep your testimonies. Verse 147. I will arise before the dawn. And cry for help. I wait for your words. Mine eyes anticipate the night watches. That I might meditate on your word. The King James actually says. I prevented the dawning of the morning and my eyes prevent the night watches. He's saying even before daylight sprung I was crying out unto the Lord and before I went to bed at night in the midnight hour I finished talking to you Lord. He begins that verse with my whole heart I cry answer me O Lord. You see we know from the previous studies that we've studied that this psalmist David has been led by God into desperate situations. You see, it is this situation that is filled with trouble and anguish. Remember what we read last week in Psalms 119, 143. Trouble and anguish have come upon me. Let your commandments, yet your commandments are my delight. We know from our study that the psalmist has had trouble on every side, anguish. He has been fleeing from his life. He has dealt with issues from the king Saul. He has dealt from running from his own flesh and blood, Absalom, in revolt and revel and, and being a, a insubordinate. The psalmist David has constantly been a fugitive on the run, so it seems. But you see, even in desperate times, can I tell you that desperate times... You know the old adage says desperate times call for desperate measures. But can I tell you, I like to twist that a little bit differently today. Can I tell you desperate times 
calls for desperate prayers. Desperate times calls for desperate prayers. How do I know this? Because I know that when I am struggling and life is going all kinds of different ways and I'm in a mess in life, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know that I can cry out unto the Lord and He hears me when I cry. In fact, Psalms, chapter, or excuse me, Psalms in the book of Psalms chapter 3, it's exactly what He says. He said, I cried unto the Lord and He heard me. Out of his holy hills, I laid myself down to sleep, but the Lord sustained, yes, he sustained me. Desperate times call for desperate prayers. You see, when we are desperate, we don't have time for pretense and procedural measures. But we get when we're desperate enough, we get straight to the point with God. See, some people like to play the now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord kind of prayers. And, and if that's the best you've ever done, then, then you need to increase your prayer life. And, and no offense, I, I don't mean that, but, but, but that's good when you become a baby Christian. But after so long, you got to know how to get a hold to God. Can I tell you that when you're desperate enough, you don't have time for policies and procedures and pretense. You get straight to the point. In Matthew chapter 14, we find the story of the apostle, excuse me, the apostle Peter. When Jesus, Peter says, if that's you, Jesus, bid me to come out of this boat unto you. And Jesus said, all right, then come on. And Peter gets out of the boat, and for a while, he's doing real good. He's walking on water. He's doing a good job. But then, something changes. In that moment, he takes his eyes off Jesus. He starts looking to the left and to the right of him. The Bible said he begins to hear the winds begin to blow. He hears the waves begin to crash. And he's looking all around trying to figure out what's going on. The Bible says that he sinks or he begins to sink. See, Peter was desperate. He was drowning. He didn't have time to... Hold thou God of the cosmos, creator of all things. Peter didn't have time for that. He got straight to the point with God. As he is sinking into the mire and the pit of despair and he is being submerged under the, the, the rip current of the water, he cries out, Lord, save me. He prayed literally the shortest prayer in the Bible. Lord save me. But can I tell you that. That desperate prayer. That three words. Lord save me. Those three words alone. That desperate prayer worked. The Bible said Jesus immediately reached down his hand. Underneath the rip current of that water. And underneath the surface of the deep. And he pulls out by hand. Peter, as they lock arms together, he helps him walk his way back across the stormy seas of life back to the boat. Peter's prayer is echoed by the psalmist in Psalms 146 where he says, I cried to you, save me, and I shall keep your commandments or your testimonies. You see, we have stormy seas of life. 
We face adverse times in life. We face struggles in life. We go through valleys and we go through times where we're desperate. We, we don't know where to go. We don't know whether to go to the right. We don't know to go to the left. We don't know whether to go up. We don't know whether to go down. We are desperate. We're desperate. But yet in that moment, if we can just muster the words, Lord, save me. Can I tell you that, in essence, that's what the sinner's prayer is all about. If you can just come to a point to know I am a sinner in needing of a Savior because I need to be delivered from my sin-sickened state of life. And you get to the point that you'll humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God and say, I screwed up. I messed up, God. I know you're the Redeemer of all men. I know you're the Savior. Lord, save me. If you can say those words, can I tell you he will? I'm a firm believer God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above that which my mind can think or comprehend according to his words in Christ Jesus. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is able. You see, the psalmist continues by saying, I call out to you and you saved me. You see, in Luke 18, verse 9 through 14, Jesus teaches us the importance of earnest prayers by telling us a parable comparing the righteous religious elite of the day known as the Pharisee and the mere outcast publican or the tax collector. Oh, we got the righteous elite over here. They should know how to pray. They go to church every Sunday. But over here we got the nobody, the sinner, the the guy who's just a good old boy, just a country old Joe, he don't know much. He just is a good old boy. Oh, the Pharisee starts out with his grandiose prayers, standing up there with his phylacteries, and he's just praying away, Oh God, save us. You are the creator of the cosmos. But the Bible says that the publican, or tax collector, while the Pharisee is doing his long, people-pleasing prayer, the tax collector literally simply bows his head and he literally says these words. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That publican realized he didn't even have any merit or worth to stand before God because there was nothing he's ever accomplished in his life that could stand before the great I am. He just simply said, God, I'm, I'm sorry, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said that that day the tax collector went home justified and the Pharisee did not because earnest prayers are effective prayers. Earnest, if you're a note taker, write this down. Earnest prayers are effective prayers. Effective. In Psalms 147 and 148, excuse me, in Psalms 119, verse 147 and 148, we see that the psalmist has a desperate situation that keeps him up late at night and gets him up early in the morning. But the only relief he has ever found is on meditating on God's promises. Instead of tossing and turning all night, worrying about your difficult situations, 
Can I tell you, you should focus instead on the promises God's already outlined in His Word. You read them aloud. You say them aloud. You pray them aloud. You see, we can see in Scripture that the most vivid example of the earnest prayer can be found in Luke 22 and 42. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus Himself says, Father, if, your, if it be Your will, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That is earnest prayers. The Bible says an angel of the Lord appeared to him and began to minister to him. And in Luke 22 and 44, this is how it describes Jesus. And being in great agony, he was praying so fervently that his sweat became as drops of blood falling upon the ground. Science, medical science has taught us that that is possible, but under only under extreme Stressful circumstances. It is possible to sweat drops of blood. But you have to be under so much stress and under so much pressure that you literally bust various capillaries and your sweat turns to blood because of the stress you are under. Jesus was under the greatest stress of all humanity has ever experienced. So when you say, Pastor, I'm stressed out. I know someone who's been more stressed than you. Trust me, I've experienced being stressed out. Sometimes I do get stressed out. But I have to remember in the solemnness of that moment that I'd have a friend and a confidant who has in like manner been tempted and tried just like me and had felt every infirmity just that I feel. And every time I'm stressed, I've got someone I can go to. I have somebody with me all the way. I've got somebody that I can call on. His name is Jesus. I can call on Jesus. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt He can come and help me because He understands what I'm going through. You see, if we want our prayers to deliver us from evil, we must pray earnestly like the psalmist, like the apostle Peter, like the tax collector, and even like the Lord Jesus Christ. If Jesus prayed that fervently, why should we feel like we shouldn't pray that fervently? Secondly, not only do you have to pray earnestly in terms of prayer of deliverance, but you also got to learn how to pray confidently. It doesn't do any good or even scare the devil if you pray, but you just pray and you don't even know if it's going to work. <laughs> Lord, I hope that maybe you could possibly do this. Boy, that's, that's exhibiting a lot of faith, isn't it? Wow. Really got, really got God kind of uh, on that pedestal. He can do all things because you're just like, oh, well, maybe hopefully... You see, the English word confident comes from a Latin word. The Latin con, C-O-N, means with. And fides, F-I-D-E-S, is the word faith. So we say confident or confidant or confides. What we're really saying is with faith. If I'm confident, I am with faith, I believe it's possible. If I have a confidant, I am believing in faith, they're going to keep my, my business within the confines of our conversation. To pray confidently means we must pray with faith. We believe God will answer our prayers because we believe in His love and goodness. But look at what the psalmist says in verse 149. 
Hear my voice according to your loving kindness. Revive me, O Lord, according to your ordinance. Those who follow after wickedness draw near, but they are far from your law. But you are near, O Lord, and all of your commandments are truth. Of old, I have known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. My voice, hear my voice according to your loving kindness. Revive me, O Lord, according to your ordinances. See, we do not pray with confidence in who we are, but we can pray with confidence knowing who He is. We can pray with confidence not because of who we are, but because of whose we are. We can pray with confidence not because we are anything, but because we serve the God who can do anything. Verse 151, the psalmist is confident in more than the Lord's love and justice. In fact, he says, Lord, you are near. So we can also have the faith that God is near us when we pray. James 4 and 8 says this, draw near unto God and he will draw nigh or near unto you. You see, this eternal truth was revealed long before this New Testament age. You see, in Psalms 145, verse 18, the Bible says, The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. So how can we be confident when we pray? Well, our faith begins to grow when we regularly hear and study the Word of the Lord. You see, Scripture is both the seed and the fertilizer. And see, in order for a seed to work, you got to fertilize it so that it germinates in the ground. So as the seed begins to germinate in our hearts, we know it becomes living and active. The Bible says His Word is living and active and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the joint and the marrow, and it knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. We know the Word of God is alive, church. And this process is the source of the psalmist's power and his faithful expression in verse 50, 152, when he says, Long have I known your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Can I tell you today, God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And if he can do it for the psalmist David, he can do it for you. Whatever you have need of, if he can do it for David, he can do it for you. He's loving and merciful to all who humbly call upon him. He is not surprised by what is happening he has a plan that will be accomplished in all this world. He will reward those who faithfully follow His pathways and follows His commandments. He will establish their ways because we can pray confidently because we know the God that we serve. But you also have to understand not only can you pray confidently, you also must understand for it to work, you've got to pray biblically. Yes, you can pray earnestly, and yes, you can pray confidently. But if you don't pray biblically, you're just praying amiss. You start praying things that are not in the will of God, He's not going to fulfill them. You start praying things that don't match up in His Word, He's not going to answer them. You see, 
You got to pray according to his word. You see, the Bible says in Psalms 119, 153, Look upon my affliction and rescue me, for I did not forget your law. Plead my case and redeem me. Revive me according to your word. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great are your mercies, O Lord. Revive me according to your ordinances. Biblically praying. You see, the psalmist reminds the Lord, Lord, I did not forget your words. I'm praying according to your words. Your word said you're a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Your word said you would draw near to those who call upon you. Your word said a broken and contrite spirit you would not despise. God, that's your words, not mine. When we want someone to be merciful to us, a lot of times we may say things like, Hey, look, I know I'm not perfect. But look at so-and-so or so-and-so or what they did. They're doing a whole lot worse than I'm doing or they're doing a whole lot worse stuff than I did. You know, we try to justify the behavior. We want people to give us mercy. I know I'm not perfect, but I'm, at least I'm not like them. That's not biblical. We don't need to be looking at the speck in our brother eye when we have a two-by-four in our own eyes. Oh, I can't, I can't do that, preacher. Yeah, you can. It's so easy to judge the other person but not reflect, self-reflect on ourselves. We don't like looking in the mirror and seeing that the man that really needs the most prayer, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer, the man I see in the mirror. You see, this is nothing new. It began with Adam and Eve, the blame game. God comes down, Adam, why'd you do it? Oh, the woman you gave me gave me this piece of fruit. Eve, why did you do that? Oh, the serpent did this. See, everybody's trying to pass the blame. See, those of you that have children and have multiple children and, and they have siblings or those of you that had siblings yourself growing up and now you're an adult, it was so easy to always want to pass the blame. Well, well he did it. Well, she said it. Well, he told me to do it. Well, she dared me. We always like to pass the blame. When in reality... We all played a part in the problem or the sin. The blame game did not give, uh, did not, excuse me, the blame game did not convince God then and it will not convince him now that that's acceptable behavior. Psalms 154 and 155, the verse 154 and 155 says, Redeem me, give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked for they do not seek your statutes. While our fallen nature wants to approach God on our own terms, well, I'll come to God my way. I, 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 if God don't require me to do this or do that or the other, then I can be saved and follow Him. But if He wants me to give up this or give up that, I don't know if I can do that. But, but we don't come to God on our own terms. We must come to God on His terms, on God's terms. You see, every man-made religion has their own set of rules. Every religion that talks about a person finding their inner spiritual peace has rules. Buddhism has the eightfold path. Muslims and Islam has the five pillars of Islam. Hindu has the karmic law and the reincarnation. The Jews had the law and the prophets. 
Even the unrighteous and the unreligious folks will say, I'm just trying to be the best person I can be. You see, but all of those will fail and fall at the feet of Jesus because that's not good enough. You can't do it on your own. In fact, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, says that there's only one way that we can come to Him. In fact, in John 14, 6, He said it very clearly. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father except through Me. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul tells us why God orchestrated salvation to be this way. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not being on your own doing or your own works, this is a gift of God, not resulting of works, lest any man should boast. That's got to be the basis of our prayer. I didn't do it. I couldn't accomplish it. We must not pray based on good works. We must not pray based on what we've done, but we must pray and declare like the psalmist did in Psalms 119 and verse 15, or 156, I'm sorry, Psalms 119 and 156. Great is your mercy, O Lord. I pray to God because of what He did, not because of what I did, but what He did. We can only pray in one name, and that's the name of Jesus. But can I tell you, not only do you must pray earnestly, not only must you pray fervently and, 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 and confidently, not only must you pray biblically according to the words of the Lord, but when you pray, you also have to pray obediently. Whatever the answer is, you've got you to gotta follow the rule. Psalms 157, or 119.157 says this, Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, yet I do not turn aside from your testimonies. I beheld the treacherous and I loathed them because they do not keep your word. Consider how I love your precepts. Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. Thy word, or the sum of your word, is truth. And every one of your righteous ordinances are everlasting. The King James says, Thy word has been truthful from the beginning. Every one of thy righteous judgments will endure forever. You see, the psalmist right at the beginning of that verse in 157 tells us that he has many persecutors and adversaries against him, but he does not turn from the word of the Lord. It is easy to be obedient to God when we are around people that are like-minded at church services and that are always doing the same things we do. It's easy to obey God when everything's the same. Now, while God does get glory when we do that by our obedience, but can I tell you He is more glorified by our obedience in the presence of the ungodly when we follow Him even when it's challenging? When temptation comes and all those around us are doing things we know are wrong, but when we stand up for what thus saith the word of the Lord, even though everybody might ridicule us, make fun of us, tell us we're old-fashioned, we're old school, we're, we're holy rollers, whatever, but when we stand for the word of God, that's when God gets the most glory. Luke 6.33 says, And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do that. But then in verse 35 he tells us the kind of obedience that glorifies God the most. He said, love your enemies. Expect nothing in return. And as he finishes that verse, he says, 
Your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. If you love your enemies, expect nothing in return. You will get a better reward and be sons of the Most High God. Our minds, our hearts, our emotions must be disciplined to lead us towards God. If we're not disciplined in God's ways, then we're not truly His disciples. The more our taste for life is shaped by God's word, the more we will dislike the things of carnality in this world. You see, in Psalms 119, 158, the psalmist said, I look to the faithfulness with diligence. I look to the, excuse me, I look to the faithless, I'm sorry, I look to the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commands. What he's saying is, those people who don't even trust you, those people living in sin, Lord, I look at them and don't want no part of that because I know that's not what you want. God cannot love us if he does not hate the sin that will destroy us. We cannot truly say we love other people if we don't distaste the sin that is destroying their eternal security. In John 15:5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he beareth much fruit. But he finishes that phrase by saying, but apart from me, you can do nothing. If we truly believe that the psalm, what the psalmist proclaims in verse 160, we will live and pray according to God's truth. He says the sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Can I tell you in order to have prayers of deliverance, you must know how to pray earnestly. You must learn how to pray confidently to the God you serve. You must learn how to pray biblically what thus saith the word of the Lord. And you must learn to pray obediently according to what the word of the Lord says. Let us pray together today. Heavenly Father, I have done the very best of my ability to proclaim your word and to speak your word to the people of God today. I've tried my best ever so eloquently to convey your message to your people. Let this word be resonate, resonate in our hearts and take residency in our lives. Let it be the seed and fertilizer that will help germinate the seeds of our lives. Help us to pray earnestly, confidently, biblically, obediently, passionately to you. Our prayers of deliverance. We live in a vile and a wicked world. But at the end of the day, we serve a supreme being that is you. King of kings, Lord of lords, Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, and the soon coming king. May you bless us and keep us, and may you make your face shine upon us and be gracious to us. Lift up your countenance on us and give us the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding. And may the words of our mouths and meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord our God and blessed Redeemer. In Christ's name we pray these things. And all God's people together said, Amen. Amen. Let me say again, thank you so much for joining us tonight for our Bible study here at Santee Circle Church of God, our virtual midweek Bible study. Don't forget Sunday morning, Sunday school at 10 a.m. Sunday school, excuse me, Sunday school at 10 a.m. Sunday morning worship at 11 a.m. 
It's Mother's Day. Come, bring your moms. Come celebrate with your moms. we got a gift for all mothers that will be in the house with us on Sunday. We're so excited to have a special Mother's Day celebration with you. There will be Children's Church in the back as well. It's going to be a wonderful day and time in the Lord. So make sure you come and join us. We love you. We're praying for you. We can't wait to see you. And may God bless you and you have a good rest of your week. Amen. God bless.